Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates stories, the art of telling, and the journey of listening. With narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith friends. Episode 27. My father was on his deathbed. He took my hand and the last words he said before he became comatose and died was, do not die with regrets. I am. Follow your heart. Mm. And I took that to heart. I realized that perhaps I needed to explore the creative side of myself that had really I've been lying dormant for many, many years. That's Janae Sacken sharing how her father's plea to follow your heart changed the trajectory of her life. She started traveling more and taking pictures. When again, someone pushed her to adjust her path and leave her comfortable career as a tenured professor to start telling stories. It was my sister-in-law. She saw one picture that I had taken of a a 90-year-old Mayo Indian woman, and she was holding a portrait of herself at age 15. Um, And it was was a a chilling photograph. That photograph that my sister-in-law was looking at that caused her to say, you need to photograph women. Yeah. And I resigned my tenure and became a freelance uh, photographer and a freelance writer. So Janae's female-focused storytelling is steered once again when she finds a 400-year-old oral tradition of poetry in a part of the world she finds fascinating and includes it in her debut novel. Since the mid-90s, I have just had a fascination with Afghanistan and Afghan literature and culture. I also love their diversity. There are so many different tribal and national groups. There are um, the Pashtun, there are the Dari, there are the Tajiks. And I was deep into researching this. And I came upon Landais, complete serendipity. Landais are 22 syllable poems. They are an oral tradition. They are composed traditionally by Pashtun women who have been denied any education. And the way that you included them, is that how they function as this sort of um, kind of backdoor communication sometimes? Ah. Uh, They function in a number of different ways, but backdoor communication is very appropriate. The tradition and how they are still used by many Pashtun women is as a backdoor communication to Mm -hmm. a beloved. Marriage is considered a tribal 
business deal. It has nothing to do with love, which was common enough in the West as well for many, many centuries. But that uh, continues in the present day. And love is just not considered an appropriate emotion for women to have. But of course, women do love and sometimes not their husband. And so they would compose these poems and perform them to the beat of a drum, the sort of eternal cry of separation, because they're never going to be able to marry and be together. So it is a backdoor communication. And unfortunately, as recently as 2017, some of the most renowned writers of Landais have had acid thrown on them and have been killed in honor killings when their mm. um, family members discovered that they were writing Landais. There are several instances in the book reading it. I was struck by how, how dark, how hopeless it feels for women. I, you did a lot of research and that that comes from a place of, of research and knowledge. It is, yes, it's dark times. It's what the Afghan people have gone through, are going through now is horrendous. And yet it's an incredibly vibrant and rich culture. And I hope the Taliban do not succeed in destroying all of that. Let's pause right there. I want you to know that you're going to hear a scene from Janae's novel, Behind the Lens. Her main character, Annie Hawkins Green, is a war photographer who nearly dies in Afghanistan embedded with U.S. Marines. But the scene you're going to hear happens a little later in the book, when Annie faces her fears and returns to the country to teach a photography class at a girls' school. She has returned to teach the senior girls a two-week photography workshop, and she has brought cameras with her. She comes to the school, and this is the day that she is being introduced to all the girls and the teachers in the school. And after the introductions, she passes out the cameras and the class begins. Yes. So her sentiments about photography as a form of storytelling um, and how she conveys that to the girls, there's a moment in the scene where she talks about disregarding the rules and following your heart in photography. Um, thought it was beautifully written. Thank you. I find some of my best photographs are when you forget everything else. And you, you frame the photograph, the subject knows you're framing the photograph, and I am just um, shooting and shooting and shooting. And then I sort of take the camera away from my eye. The subject thinks it's over. She relaxes, and that's when I get the shot. Mm. It's, there is just this moment when the skin loosens and the eyes start to get this incredible glow. Mm. And there is just an emergence of mm. emotion on the part of the subject. And typically that's when I get the photograph that goes 
in a gallery show or up on my website. That's so interesting that it's the moment that the person thinks they're not being watched. Yes. That you somehow are capturing something more authentic. Yeah. A hidden moment. moment. I love that. Yes. And so that's kind of what she's trying to explain to the girls. And there's a picture that they're looking at that's been blown up larger than life in the classroom that is the image that wins your character uh, Pulitzer Prize and is a moment that, of course, is seared in her memory. Yes. And the girls in the classroom know that this, uh, you know, that this was an award-winning photograph and that it was also a moment, the moment right before violence happened. And she says, you know, that's, a, that's part of the role of photography is getting to the truth. Yes. No matter what the government wants you to think the truth is. Yes. There's something almost immeasurably important about having photographers in places to tell the stories. Um, there are. And one of the great war photographers, um, Dickie Chappelle, came from Shorewood, Wisconsin, a couple blocks away from me. She was the um, first female photographer killed in a war zone. Um, the Marines so revered her that they gave her honors. She was killed in Vietnam. And actually, I was um, in, in Vietnam a year and a half ago just as the country was shutting down. And they have a museum in Saigon and they feature all of the photographers who were killed. And Dickie Chappelle is the only woman there. And it is really quite stunning. Um, A lot of journalists and photographers have been killed in Afghanistan. And now, of course, the Taliban is hunting down more. The other thing I think is an important message is that journalists and photographers are subject to PTSD. Yes, your, your protagonist definitely suffers from that, which there you, you catalog sort of waves of her being haunted, I think is how you explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, These women take phenomenal risks to bear witness and to get the truth out. They were a huge inspiration for me to tell that part of the story. Their courage and also the kind of juggling that they have had to do with their family life. Yes. That is something else that you really chronicle in this story, the balance that, um, that Annie has to have between being a mom and having this kind of career that she clearly feels compelled to do that is part of her calling, um, that is part of her living with no regrets. But it's hard. Uh, she definitely, you feel her being torn about her daughter at many points in the story. Yeah. Obviously, she's a very strong person, but you also wrote her very sympathetically. I liked the elements of her that were, that wanted what was best for her daughter, but also clearly felt like this was something she had to do. These were assignments she needed to take, things she had to do for herself, for her career. 
I think that when women especially feel impelled and compelled to have a career like Annie has, to bear witness, to put themselves in danger to do mm -hmm. this, there are really, really hard choices that need to be made. And then I realized that if it had been the flip and that if Annie's husband had gone out into a war zone, everyone would be applauding his courage. But the first thought that people have when a female war photographer goes out there is how can you subject your children to you putting your life at risk? Which is really just an extension. It's like pulling a very long thread from uh, women can't experience love. Uh, women don't get to choose who they marry. Women can't learn to read and write. Uh, women have to wear certain clothes. You really can pull that thread all the way to women shouldn't have a career. Women should just be the nurturers. They are sort of a connected idea, really. Let's pause there in our conversation to listen to our featured scene. When we come back, you'll hear about Janae's essential things. But first, this is from Behind the Lens, written by Janae Sacken. We run through the basics to get the cameras up and working. The light is bright enough in the classroom, so I let them practice by taking a few shots of each other. Oh my, these girls sure know how to pose and giggle. Okay, I wave my hands to get their attention. You can take more photographs for homework. For now, let's talk about photography. The girls scurry back to their seats, secure their cameras on the tables in front of them, primly fold their hands, and look expectantly at me. Here goes. There are different kinds of photographers, I say by way of an introduction. I'm a photojournalist, which means I tell stories with my pictures, kind of like a reporter who tells stories with words. It's my way of communicating, of letting people know what's going on in the world, what's really going on, not just what some governments want us to know. Several girls gasp, and I make a mental note to check my future comments about the Afghan government, or any government. There's no point in making the girls uncomfortable. Besides, they're sure to report everything that happens in the workshop to their parents, I don't need to see the inside of a prison on this trip. But I won't sugarcoat things either. Telling the truth, I continue, means that sometimes pictures can be disturbing, even shocking. My job is to tell the story as truthfully as I can. A girl sitting next to Bahar slowly pokes her hand above her head. My name is Wynne. May I ask a question? Of course. She takes a breath. What if it's a dangerous story, one that could get you hurt or might get you in trouble? I grin. Well, I am a war photographer, so I take photos in dangerous situations all the time, like pictures of soldiers fighting or even dying. The girls gasp. 
I point to the three pictures of Malale and other kids in Kakwale tacked up on the back wall. But I also take photos of ordinary people doing ordinary things while war is going on around them, like boys tending their goats, or kids going to school or playing. I just recently took a picture of a teenage girl in Nigeria bringing her baby home to her mother's house. When I show these pictures of life alongside pictures of people dying because of war, all the images are more powerful and sometimes heartbreaking. Bahar's hand shoots up. You mean because there is both life and death? Someone might be alive one minute and then die suddenly, even if they are civilians? Yes. My eyes lock on Malale's. Exactly. A murmur of quiet chatter runs through the classroom. Seema looks like she wants to say something, so I call on her. But aren't you scared, going into wars? Yeah. They all laugh. Sorry, I didn't mean to be so glib. The real answer is, yes, sometimes I'm completely and totally terrified. I do my best to be careful, to take precautions. But the bottom line is, this is what I do. It's my job. And it's important. At the very back of the room, a girl stands up next to her bench. What if you do not have a story? Or maybe you have an idea, but you are not sure how to tell the story? Good question. That's where planning comes in. The first thing is to figure out what you want to say in your photograph, what you want your audience to see, how you want them to feel. Then, you work on composing a shot to create that message. You frame the picture and use lighting and shadows in different ways. You also use depth of field to create an effect. Fields? Bahar looks confused. So do the rest of the girls. The field is what we call the overall picture. Maybe I want the entire image to be in focus so you can see everything clearly. Or maybe I want one person to stand out clearly while the background is a little blurred or even completely out of focus. Like you did with Malale, says a girl seated by the windows. You can see the houses behind her, but not clearly. That's right. How did you plan that picture? asks Bahar. To be honest, I didn't. I just took that picture. I broke every rule. But as I looked through my lens that day, I felt the image. The composition, the lighting, the depth of field, everything. It all came together, and I knew it was right. Then I just forgot all the technical stuff and shot the picture. I shrug. Sometimes it happens that way. Seema looks surprised. But you won a prize for that picture. You became famous. Remember, I'd already taken thousands and thousands of pictures by that time, so I didn't need to think about the rules. They just came automatically. And my goal for you is that during this workshop, 
you'll learn some of the rules well enough that they become automatic for you, too. Bahar wrinkles her brow. You mean you want us to learn the rules so well that we can forget them? That's exactly what I mean. A smile creeps onto her face. Seema's, too. The rest of the girls look a little shell-shocked, as if breaking rules isn't something to be talked about. Miss Green, says Bahar, will you tell us the story about Malale? I should have expected one of the girls would ask me this, but stupidly, I didn't. I take a deep breath and slowly walk to the back of the room, where the bigger-than-life-size print of my famous photograph is tacked to the wall. Can I do this? Can I tell these girls about Malale? About that day? Without ending up back in Kakwali. I've got to try. She was trying to save my life, and the lives of two U.S. Marines— we were in her village, handing out food and water. We'd been there before, but this day... I tapped the image. Malale told me to leave, except I wasn't smart enough to understand. I don't speak Pashtu, and she didn't speak English or Dari. So she wrote a warning in the sand. See, there, she wrote the letters, T. A-L-I-B-A-N My finger traces the swirls and curves of the Pashtu letters. Letters I couldn't make sense of until much later when I printed the image. A bench scrapes the floor, and Bahar comes to stand next to me. More benches are shoved back, until all twenty-three girls are crowded around me. Look at her eyes says Bahar. She is terrified. I think she looks desperate, says Seema. Desperate for you to understand her. Yes, she was. And one second after I took this photograph, it was too late. The Taliban fighters hiding in the houses shot her before I could figure out what she was trying to tell me. What about the Marines? whispers Bahar. They killed them, too. Why didn't they kill you? They wanted to, but... My voice stays in my throat. I struggle to keep from going back to the soggy, smelly stable at Kakwali. I reach forward and touch my fingers to Malale's hand. The important thing is what you see in this photograph. What it says to you. Fear says a quiet voice at my shoulder. She is very afraid. Bravery, says Bahar. Even though she is scared, she is trying to help you anyway. Do you think she knew they were going to shoot her? I think she knew they were going to shoot us. I see love, says Seema. Love, scoffs Bahar with a roll of her eyes. That is crazy. A couple of the girls standing next to her seemed to share her opinion, giggling into their hands and looking toward the ceiling. Yes, love. Seema crosses her arms and raises her chin to drive home her point. I think she loved you, Auntie. I mean, 
Miss Green, so much that she was willing to die to try to save you. That's what you do when you love someone. Love can make you do things you never thought you'd do. Bahar whispers to the girl next to her. Both girls smile. Time to intervene. Of course, there is no one correct answer. We each bring our own experience to what we see in a photograph, in any art, so we may interpret it in different ways. Bahar and most of the girls nod. But Seema keeps staring at Malale, as if there's a palpable connection between them. She's clearly convinced her interpretation is the right one, the only one. I tent my fingers, pressing them hard against my lips, hoping I can find a way to tap into Seema's deeply held feelings and help her express them through the photographs I want her to take. But I'm also praying to God to keep my sorrow, my regret, my unmitigated guilt over Malale's death locked deep inside me, away from these girls. For you in life, in writing as an author, as a photographer, um, you know, what, when you think about your essential things, when you think I, I need to articulate to someone else that these things are essential, what would you say are the most essential things? The most essential thing to me is twofold. Through my writing and through my photography, I have a way of documenting and bearing witness. And through that, trying to facilitate some degree of social justice. Which do you think is, do you think that your, the imagery and the storytelling through imagery is more powerful or the creative writing and interpretation of fiction more powerful? There's a, a huge visual component to my writing. Mm -hmm. um, and my photography, I typically, when I have a gallery show, will put up the photograph with the story next to it. So I honestly don't divide between mm -hmm. my words and my images because in my fiction writing, I incorporate both. And in my photography, I incorporate both. Mm. You don't really give importance to one over the other. It's, it's the marriage of the two. It really is. I tell stories through images and words. To see Janae's storytelling images, visit her website and connect with her on social media. I'll put links to her website and to purchase her novel, Behind the Lens, in the show notes. She's also shared links to charities supporting thousands of Afghan refugees right now in Wisconsin, if you want to connect to those. Thanks to Janae for sharing so openly why she follows her heart. And thank you for listening.